Okay, people, we have a loaded podcast here on Just for Sport. First up, it couldn't be a better time to talk with my next guest, former NBA player Trevor Booker. The day before we recorded this podcast, Book announced his retirement from the NBA. That alone could fill a podcast. But we did talk about his favorite teammates and what he will miss about the NBA. You don't want to miss Trevor's take on the coronavirus and why Rudy Gobert, Book's former teammate with the Jazz, may have saved the NBA. Trevor shares his journey in success in business as a venture capitalist, educator, and a real estate investor. And he gives his take on Michael Jordan and the Last Dance documentary, which will debut this Sunday, April 19th, on ESPN. Next, we replay Michael Wilbon's take when he was on Just For Sport. He talks about the documentary, The Last Dance, his involvement in the show, and covering Michael Jordan. Lastly, I give my picks on DraftKings' Michael Jordan popularity pool for your listening and betting pleasure. Settle in, y'all. For the Props Network, this is Just For Sport in 3, 2, 1. All right, thanks, Trevor, for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on Just for Sport. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, the timing was amazing. We record the pod, uh, and you announced yesterday that you are retiring from the NBA after eight seasons. Why now? Uh, how long have you thought about it? Uh, I mean, it's been on my mind the last couple of years. Um uh, I wanted to get back into the NBA uh, after my last win with uh, Indiana. Um, things didn't work out my way. Um, and, you know, with the whole COVID-19 situation, you know, I was, I was looking to get back into the NBA on a playoff team this year. Uh, but the COVID-19 situation, you know, really messed that up. Uh, here soon, it'll be two years since I last played in the NBA. Um, so which it will make it, you know, very difficult for me to get back in. Um, so I just thought right now is the perfect time, you know, I can just start planning out, you know, for the next chapter of my life. What did you tell, who'd you tell first after your family, obviously, that, hey, I'm, I'm done? Um, well, of course, it was my family first, uh, my best friend, uh, and, my, you know, my couple of my close friends. Um, other than that, I think I, I pretty much kept the news, you know, under wraps. Yeah. Just close friends and family. What will you miss most uh, about being in the NBA as a player? Maybe your family, as you were telling them, they were reminiscing about some of your best games and moments. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss, you know, just being out there and competing. I'm a, I'm a super competitor. So, you know, I know, you know when I watch the games, uh, whenever they come back home, you know, I'm, I'm going to be wishing that I was out there uh, competing against those guys. Uh, you know, but at the same time, I'm going to be rooting for all of them uh, because I, I know what they're going through and, you know, and, I, and I'll still be happy for them. Uh, but I think I probably just miss the competing more than anything. Mm-hmm. And if you say you know what they'll be going through, is there something that you won't miss that they have to go through that you had to go through as an NBA player? Maybe the business of basketball? Yeah, uh, um, I, I think probably the most would be the vigorous training. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the stress that it puts on your body, on your mind. Um, you know, people don't see that part. They just see, you know, we go out there 
only a game that we love, but they don't see the, the vigorous training and, you know, how stressful it can be um, because it's still a business and, you know, you still have to go out there and perform and people are trying to take your job, you know, every day. You know, even your own teammates are trying to take your job, you know, at the same position. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, you know, not easy, you know, especially with the travel. Uh, you're gone, you know, sometimes two or three weeks out of the month. Uh, especially if you have a family. Uh, so it, it definitely, you know, not all, you know, teaches when it comes to uh, the NBA life. Mm-hmm. You were such a vicious dunker. I remember when, you know, I guess I could kind of say we worked together, you know, me covering you, uh, both working under the Wizards organization. What was your best posterizing dunk you ever did? And I have a shot that wasn't a dunk that I think was your best one, which was your volleyball tip shot over the head of OKC's Russell Westbrook. That will go down as all time as the best shot of Trevor Booker's uh, in, in, in my mind. What was your best dunk? Uh, my best dunk, ooh, it's tough. I had quite a few. Um, I remember one game, um, dunking on Kevin Love after the rim by Wizards Days. Yeah. Um, I had a nice dunk against the Clippers. Uh, I think it was probably my, during my Utah days where I caught one off the rim and I just contorted it somehow. I just <laughs> had so many. Um, mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and really look. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's understandable. But, I mean, that shot... How many people ask you about the, the, the tip shot? Like, what were you thinking at that time? I mean, you just, you barely touched it. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still get asked about that shot, you know, to this day. You know, I have a basketball academy here. Yeah. Uh, a sports academy, I'm sorry, uh, here in Charlotte. And, you know, all the kids are always asking me, you know, how did I do that shot? Uh, I mean, it was point two seconds left on the clock, so that's all I could really do. And, you know, <laughs> If you're my teammate and you're around me in practice, you know, after practice and before practice, I'm always throwing up crazy shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, pretty comfortable just, you know, tapping a shot like that. Um, and it happened to work out in my favor where it went in. Uh, I was super surprised. Did Russell Westbrook say anything to you after you made it when you were going back on the other end or at some point? No, no, he, he didn't say anything. But, uh, I mean, if you watch the tape, you can see the look on his face. Um, <laughs> he, he couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite yeah. teammate on any of the teams you played on uh, that maybe you still talk to to this day or just when you were playing together, you really bonded with? Yeah, favorite teammate would probably be, uh, be uh, Joe Ingles. Mm. Um, you know, he's one of my favorites. You know, I had quite a few favorites. Um, but, you know, I still talk to Joe this Oh, wow. Okay. Best veteran. We're going to get back to Rudy Gobert. Best best veteran that taught you how to play? Uh, well, no veteran, you know, taught me how to play. Mm. Uh, but they, you know, they some veterans taught me, you know, different things. Uh-huh. Uh, Al Harrington, he taught me, you know, about the business. You know, outside of basketball, uh, you know, I had veterans that showed me, you know, some stuff on the court, uh, like Nene. Mm-hmm. You know, he did a good job of being a vet and, you know, 
have shown me, you know, different tricks and stuff that I could use on the court. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I had some pretty good veterans throughout my career. Yeah. Uh, was there a player that ever was the most confident or maybe even borderline arrogant player? Um, I don't know if it's right to say this, but I feel like Jordan Crawford always had confidence. Oh, yeah, he definitely had super confidence. Uh, JC, you know, he, he was, a, he was a, you know, tough. He was tough. Yeah. Um, one of the most skilled players I ever played against. Uh, I mean, played with, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was definitely, he was definitely confident. Uh, but I loved it, though. I loved seeing that confidence. Yeah. Because I guess on that level, everybody has to be confident. But is there another player, maybe? Um, trying to think. Um, Joe Allen Joe is pretty confident, you know. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pretty much unstoppable. So, you know, to be that way, you definitely have to have some confidence about you. Yeah. Uh, was there a worse player that you were like, how did they make it into the league? I don't think I've ever had a teammate, you know, that I said that about. But yeah. It was definitely some players that I looked at and was like, um, yeah, they must know somebody. <laughs> how about how about uh, best coach? Best coach, um, Quinn Snyder. Quinn He's Snyder, just such a basketball genius. Wow. Yeah, he breaks the game down uh, like nobody that I've ever, you know, seen before. Yeah. Um, and you see the tremendous job that he's doing in Utah. Uh, so I would definitely say Quinn. Okay. Uh, sticking with Utah, but living without sports due to the coronavirus, you mentioned Rudy Gobert. Uh, if you were a player on that team, um, how would you have dealt with that situation? I mean, you know, Rudy kind of joked about, oh, coronavirus is nothing. He did the thing where he's touching all of the mics and stuff. And he was basically the one who shut down the league and suspended it and was the, the, the impetus for the other league saying, okay, we got to stop. How would you have addressed that? Yeah. But also, as a player, what would you be doing now? I mean, he made a, you know, an honest mistake. Um, he obviously, you know, didn't think it was such a, I mean, it was that much of a big deal, uh, which I, I'm sure he regrets now. Um you know, but if I was a teammate on that situation, now it, you know, tell him to uh, be a little bit more cautious, um, take it a little bit more serious because, you know, the, if something did come up, the, the, um, the media is going to eat that up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what ended up happening. And, you know, it caused some friction between him and his teammates, uh, you know. And I'm, I, I heard, you know, that, most unsalvageable, but we'll see. Uh, but I'm sure he feels bad about it now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being a teammate, but also, you know, watching it live and seeing how you, the whole league just stopped. And and it's amazing to think that it seems like it was a, such a long time ago, but it really was only last month. Um, when you you went through it. Honestly, it's, yeah. probably, it's probably great that that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with him because you know it, it's no telling you know how much more would have spread it if the league didn't you know shut down that day. Yeah. Uh, so he, he you know he, he, if you think about it from another perspective you know he he might have saved some lives mm. uh, by that happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just a good point. Good point. Um, 
you you went through it somewhat of a shutdown. It was a lockout of 2011. Um, when you look back on that time, I don't know if you reflected on that when you think of what they're going through today, but, but if you were still going to go back and play in the NBA, what would you be doing now if all you could be is in, you know, by yourself at home and, and trying to stay in shape, but also like just touching a basketball and match is not just like turning on a car to just start playing again. Right. Yeah, fortunate enough for me, you know, I have a basketball uh, court in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, you know, be able to get some type of, you know, shots up, some type of workout on the court. Um, but a lot of these players don't have access to any gyms, you know, so it's definitely tough. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, if the NBA uh, were to happen to come back this season, uh, they would have a, a super long training camp. You know, mm-hmm. for players to get their rhythms back and for players to get back into shape. Um, so it is definitely a difficult time right now. But I think you're seeing uh, a lot of players are still, you know, trying to keep in shape, uh, whether it's running outside, running on a bike, or, you know, lifting weights, trying to keep their body right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the biggest thing is they, they can't touch a basketball right now. They don't have access to a gym. Or playing horse. You watch that on ESPN? That was rough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got to put something. Do you see the NBA coming back this season or kind of like resuming the season? Or realistically, if it gets into August, September, would you as a player say, okay, yeah, let's resume what we already did because we don't want to waste that time? Or would you say, hey, forget that season and let's start over? Because in your mind, your body, you would have been starting a new season anyway. Yeah, um, I think it's difficult to start. To start the season back up, you know, um, and finish this season, uh, just because we so much is unknown right now, mm-hmm. and you could do it, you know, without fans. But at the same time, you know, the players have to travel. You putting the players at risk. Um, they still have to go to hotels, and you know, I don't know, if, you know, they're going to restrict them on the road. You know, they can't leave the hotel or what. So it's going to be a lot of sticky situations. Um, you know, I know. They've been talking about, you know, possibly starting the season, a new season, like around Christmas time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, a good idea. Uh, they could look at that and, you know, have the draft uh, a couple of months before that. Just plan for the new season right now and, and get everything, get all the, the uh, eggs in a row. Do you think long-term you would like to see the season start around Christmas instead of in October and maybe, you know, finishing up in July, August? Uh, now that I'm retired, you know, I would definitely love to see that. <laughs> uh, just because it won't, you know, it won't conflict with, you know, uh, football season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I was playing, I would say no just because it would take up half of my summer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, now I'm being selfish, you know. Now I can, you know, say I, can, I don't want to stress the season. Mm-hmm. And I can have something to watch, you know, during the summer. Because I, I'm not a, a baseball fan, so to have basketball during the summer, that, I would love that. Yeah. You, 
you you weren't just a player. You must have been thinking about life after basketball from the beginning because you were doing any and everything. J.B. Fitzgerald Venture Capital, the Combine Academy, which you already mentioned, and you're into real estate. When did you start thinking about setting yourself up for your life after basketball? Um, you know, I always thought about it from day one. Mm. Um, you know, I would take, you know, from my first paycheck, I would take half a, well, I used to get paid twice a month. So I would take one paycheck, put it in my personal account, and then uh, take the other paycheck and, you know, put it in the stock market. So I was always, you know, thinking about saving. But, you know, I really didn't think about, think about, you know, investing in being an entrepreneur until probably, like, my second year in the NBA. Um, I still hear Al Harrison talk about it. And, you know, he was a big advocate for it. Uh, you know, business outside of basketball. So I tried to, you know, learn from him, start networking, and uh, just took off from there. And you started J.B. Fitzgerald Venture Capital with your best friend, Jonah Bays. Um why why did you start venture capital with him like when when were the two of you really looking at each other and saying yeah this is what we want to do yeah so um once we started the high school uh, which was my second year in the nba um you know we did other small uh business deals and you know word got around that you know uh i had you know a lot of business interests uh, so deals would always, you know, flow my way, and so we were like, you know, we, we, we had some good deals coming our way, some bad deals. Um, so we were like, you know, when all these deals coming our way, we just start a, a fund. So that's what we did, you know, with the deals coming our way. So we hired some some analysts uh, to go along with Jonah and myself, and we just took off from there. Mm-hmm. Did you, when, when you are... You mentioned Al Harrington. Are you, has it been harder or easier than you thought it would be to kind of get the right ideas and the the right things to invest in? Yeah, um, it's definitely not easy. But at the same time, um, you know, you got to have the right team around you. You know, if you look at some of these big companies, uh, super big, you know, VC firms, they, they don't, you know, they're not successful in every deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they strike out a lot, but they, they look for that one big deal, you know, that can 10x their money or 100x their money, whatever it is, uh, to, you know, make more money uh, than they lost. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely not easy, but at the same time, you just got to know what you're looking for and, gotta, um, you know, know the industry that you're looking at. And another industry that you are looking at was basketball, and you started the Combine Academy how has that been for you to have a school? Did you ever see yourself being the, I don't know if it's really that you're the headmaster of a school, but really the leader? And what kind of talent have you seen out of the school? Maybe some of the best players that you see that are going in, in through your academy right now. Yeah, we have, uh, you know, the school is, is very promising. We have baseball, uh, we have you know, some MLB prospects right now uh, on our team. Uh, We just had uh, one of our freshmen commit to East Carolina, one of our sophomores commit to Alabama. So we have uh, MLB agents and um, scouts, you know, come and watch our partnership and our games, you know, all the time. So that's going in the right direction. 
tobacco program is, is booming. Uh, basketball last year, uh, last season, we were ranked 35th in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at one point, we, we beat Oak Hill Academy when they were ranked uh, top 10 in the nation. You know, and we had a super young team. Yeah. Our, um, our sophomore point guard was our best player. Um, he's, uh, he's a five-star point guard. And he just committed to Pitt. Um, Let's go Pitt. That's my alma mater. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, we have a freshman point guard uh, who's top 15 in the nation that I think, you know, he's going to be really special. We have a freshman, you know, big that's top 15 in the nation that's going to be very special. And a lot of players, good players surrounding them. Uh, so we do, you know, a great job of recruiting talent. And our, our main goal is to get these kids placed. You know, all these kids, uh, you know, not even, not just the top players, but, you know, the players below them, you know, we want to get them placed and, you know, into college and, you know, set them up. That That's really cool. Uh, and I will definitely uh, be rooting for University of Pittsburgh to get much better at basketball. So if your guy can help from the Combine Academy, I'm all for it. Um, the other thing you've done is real estate, and you got a lot of properties. I would guess that maybe if you haven't done it yet, I didn't see that you had done it. Did you just buy Whitmore, South Carolina? It's a population of 2,000, one stoplight. You could be the mayor. You just own the whole town. <laughs> yeah, I, I could. It's just that small, but um, nah, I don't think you know that's in my plans, but I definitely... I want to continue to buy up a lot of real estate. You know, mm-hmm. Right now, we have over 250 doors. Um, you know, I, I never imagined you know having that many uh, when you first when I first started out. You know, uh, buying real estate, but now you know I want to own over a thousand doors uh, mm-hmm. within the next you know five years. So we're definitely looking to you know keep growing. Last question here. We can go back to basketball. Are you excited about the Michael Jordan documentary? Definitely, yeah. I mean, Jordan is one of my favorite players of all time, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, you know, what better time to watch it now when, you know, Memphis on TV. Do you, as an NBA player, did you ever hear any Jordan stories that shocked you or just, like, opened your eyes about the competitor that he was? Not really. You know, I know he had to be, you know, one hell of a competitor, you know, to be considered as the greatest basketball player of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I haven't really, you know, heard any stories. If you could play against Jordan, how well do you think you would do? Uh, I would beat him. Easy. What, you, wait, you would beat him? Right. Yeah. I mean, you talk about it right now, yeah. How would you beat him? Back in the day. Right now or back in the day? Back in the day, how would you check him? Uh, easy, you know. Um, I feel like LeVar Ball, you know. I feel like I could beat anybody. Um, yeah. I'll find some kind of way. <laughs> I'm going to be watching, too. Uh, do you have a best game of, of his that you watched? Um, definitely probably the flu game. The um, flu game. probably it's one of his most memorable games. I think he might have faked it a little bit. Trevor, thank you so much for being on the pod. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best in all of your success. Congratulations on a great NBA career. 
Uh, you developed a three-point shot after four seasons. You only made one three-pointer, and then all of a sudden you started hitting more. You changed your game, were able to stay in the league longer, and now I, I only expect the best out of you, as I'm sure you are with your team at J.B. Fitzgerald and the Combine Academy, the kids you're helping to, to bring up and teach about sports uh, and real estate. Hopefully you get to the uh, 1,000 doors and, and more. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Trevor. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. All right, take care. Speaking of entertainment and sports, uh, ESPN announced the early release of the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, which is now April 19th. You are prominently featured in this documentary. I know you can't wait to see it. How do you know that? You know that already. You you had to be because you're Chicago. Just as much as D.C., you're Chicago, (laughs) Mike. No, I, no, you know about the editing room floor. I have no idea what's going to be kept and, and, and discarded. But I know I can't wait to see it because it's not the stuff that I, it's stuff I already know that I want to see. It's stuff I know I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's plenty I know I don't know that happened in that, that, that season. And plenty. Yeah. And there's stuff, stories that will be told about the previous seasons I know I don't know mm-hmm. because I did participate and, and I sat down and was interviewed. And anybody, I wasn't around those bullet teams every day. I wasn't working in Chicago. I was working in Washington. Yeah. Although, you know, those last three years, you know, the, the newspapers still had money. More of them had more money in the 1990s. And so the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, the Chicago Tribune, of course, those Chicago papers, Tribune, sometimes the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the, the papers in the Bay Area, Dallas Morning News, Newsday, New York mm-hmm. Daily News, all those papers covered. We covered Michael Jordan. Yeah. We, we covered we covered them like a beat, mm-hmm. and so you know people were around. But I know there's even even those guys. There's a lot of stories we don't know, and, and I can't wait to hear them and see them. Could you share one of your stories about Michael? Maybe if it's not one that's in the documentary, but just something that you remember. Well, of him? It's not, but it's, you know some of those some of those stories are, are totally, and, and you can identify with this having worked with and been around athletes and owners and teams and franchises, those stories were off the record often at the time. Mm-hmm. They have been told on tape. I mean, they've been told on, mm-hmm. on camera. Mm-hmm. But until they air, until they air to me, they're still off the record because I don't own that intellectual property. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see which stories Michael tells that nobody knows because he owns the intellectual property because it's him. Yeah. And, it's, it, and these are his stories. And, and it, yes, in some cases, I, I can tell you, some of these stories, when they appear, they'll be on the record. Obviously, they'll, they'll, they'll go from being confidential to the people who were told, they were told confidentially to being, to, you know, being told on, on camera. So they'll be on the record. But I, until, he, until they air, I, I don't feel like it's my story to, 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 to own or to tell. Mm-hmm. They're his stories because they were, they were, a lot of these things were told in confidence. And so... I, that's, again, that's why I'm telling you I can't wait. Yeah. Not only that, let me let me let me share this part. Mm-hmm. There are stories that we thought we knew, or there are parts of stories I know, and the stories are fleshed out by him and his teammates. Wow! And so that's really cool. Like there are stories that I know part of. I was privy to part of a story, mm-hmm. but then later that night the Bulls plane left and guys were on the plane and now guys who were on the plane are talking about the story. Yeah. And so there's, this is what I mean by stuff I don't know even about the stories I know something about. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's going to make the whole thing fascinating. And then, then, then there's stuff I don't have any, I, I don't have any knowledge of. Plenty, plenty of stories I have no knowledge of. Or some things I might have had, you know, you might have heard a little bit about. And somebody asked you to keep that in confidence. And, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the most famous people in basketball also who are speaking on the record of, uh, in this documentary. So I can't wait to see that. What? Were you just going to watch this at home, or originally was there going to be some big premiere event that you were going to go yeah, to? And there every... was a big premiere. Yeah. Yeah, there was, and there it is no more. Um, yeah, there was a big premiere, and I was going to watch it. I was going to watch the premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, I was invited, and thankfully was happily invited and happily accepted. Yeah. But that, uh, you know, that's not going to happen. It's, I'm going to watch it with, I'm, I'm glad to watch it with my son, mm-hmm. who's 12 yeah. years old. And who, who, because of his father, his favorite team is the Bulls, and his favorite player, they want Scotty and Michael with Derrick Rose and Lou Dang and wow. more recently than that even. And yeah. um, Otto you Porter? Know, it's, it's a uniform. <laughs> yeah, now he keeps talking about Otto playing, and one day Otto's a premier shooter in the league. I'm like, yeah, but got to get him on the court. Yeah, yeah. And he's got to be healthy enough to play. And he wears, you know, Bulls jerseys and shoes and all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. But he gets to now see. I mean, I, 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 you know, I worry about younger people having the attention span to sit and indulge this for hours and hours and hours. I think like the only person in the pop culture who can do that, one of the very, very few, maybe the only one in sports, is Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And because of the just the lore and the regard in which he's held. So I think my son can watch all of it. He he whenever the Bulls are on there, I notice he stops and sits. Yeah. He'll stop dribbling for that. He'll stop dribbling for Scotty and Michael. Yeah, yeah. And so now we're gonna have this and, and so it's gonna be interesting to see him uh consume it. Yeah. And it's gonna be interesting to see like how our current young players like Zion Williamson are gonna consume it. Oh yeah. Zion was born after the last dance. Mm-hmm. So wow. how are young players in the league going to consume this? Is it going to change the way they feel about things? I don't know. Just it's going to be fascinating to see. I'm glad I'm going to be at home watching it with my own son. Yeah, just as much as I'm looking forward to watching it, I would enjoy just as much if, like, they do on the national uh, championship for college basketball. If they, if they had, like, you in a room with a player and maybe a general manager and hearing you all talk about your stories as you're watching the documentary, kind of like a director's cut. I think that'd be kind of cool. Well, maybe. yeah, we, we would have to stop the action all the time though, to stop the cut so we wouldn't be talking. You're right. Yeah. Great stories. I, I think this is going to be unique in that way mm-hmm. that you're speaking to now. I think that, I, 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 look, I don't know because I haven't seen it. Yeah. But I know what's in it. And I, I mean, I know, you know, I know in terms of what kind of materials in it. Yeah. I just think it's got to be riveting. I think it's got to be riveting, and I hope that two generations of people will turn their damn phones off and stop staring at their phones <laughs> and watch this. Yeah. And don't try to multitask. Just watch that. So you heard Trevor Booker talk about Michael Jordan, his favorite game that Michael Jordan played. And you heard Michael Wilbon talking so much about Michael Jordan and his career and how great he was. But DraftKings, with this new documentary, The Last Dance, coming out on ESPN on Sunday, they have this great popularity pool that I really enjoy playing. So I'm going to do it for you right here. We'll go through all of my picks for the popularity pool. You can play along. You can play on DraftKings. And we'll see how each other does. All right, here we go. Best game, five choices. 1989, Bulls versus the Cavs. Game five, first round. The shot. You got to know the shot. 
1990, Bulls versus Cavaliers, career high, 69 points. He used to torch the Cavs. 1993, Sun versus Bulls, game four of NBA Finals, 55 points. Man, you know, I was rooting for Charles Barkley so much to get a championship. But, you know, Jordan, 6-0, undefeated. 1995, Bulls versus Knicks. Fifth game back in the NBA, 55 points. You know, that was after he retired the first time, and then he was number 45, then switched back to 23. Yeah, that was when he came back to play after taking two years off. And then 1998. Bulls versus Jazz, game six of NBA Finals. That's a crossover game winner. Man, Byron Russell, you know, did he foul him? Did he not foul him? I don't know, but that was his sixth championship in a row. So what am I going to do here in picking what is the best game of Michael Jordan's career? I am going to go with, drum roll please, all right, this is crazy. I'm going with Bulls versus Cavs. Game five, first round, the shot. I mean, the way he had to, like, double pump to the side over Craig Elo, that was not the, the coming of age for Jordan, but that was really like the beginning of he has reached a plateau, and on the biggest stage, you saw him hit the shot. Everything else after that is gravy. So that's what I say the best game is, the first game. All right, best moment. Flu game. That's the one Trevor Booker likes. Uh, free throw line dunk in the dunk contest. That was sick. Uh, the shrug. I mean, who knew? That was like nobody knew he could shoot threes, and he was just lighting it up. He was on fire. The switch hands layup. I mean, come on. How many of you have tried that on the basketball court? Everyone has, right? Right hand, bring it down, go up with the left hand. You, I mean, come on, you got to go with that one, I would say. But there are more to choose from, so we got to keep going. All right, next game, the game-winning shot in game six of the 1998 NBA Finals. Man, again, Byron Russell, oh boy. In the game-winning shot in the College Basketball National Championship. Okay, I don't want to go with college, all right? You had six choices here. Now, in my mind, I think of the best moment as something that is a totality of a game. Now, the switch hand layup, that was pretty amazing. I, I, I will admit, that was like, hey, I go on the court and try that one too. But I'm going to have to say the best moment because it was something that was new for Michael Jordan, even though he was already Michael Jordan. It's the shrug. I mean, he was lights out from three, and nobody expected it. Even him. He was a shrug. He was like, I didn't know I could do this. I really didn't. But here I am, shooting threes. That is the best moment for me in Michael Jordan's career. Best quote. Now, this was a very interesting contest. We got five choices here. These are all quotes from Michael Jordan. Number one, always turn a negative situation into a positive situation. I feel like that's a little cliche, but, you know, some people still could like that one. Second one, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. Number three, some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. That's the third one. Number four, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence win championships. And the last one, the ceiling is the roof. Yeah, 
You remember that. That was the last one he made, but that made popular, that is. But the thing is, I think it's tough because I, I feel like number two and three, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. Or some people want it to happen. Some people wish it would happen. Others make it happen. And I had a tough time between these two because in many ways, here I am starting a new podcast just for sport. I've been doing, you know, for the Props Network, picks on the NBA, two things that I am doing for a network that in the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm out on a limb here. I'm trying something new. So these are the two quotes that resonate with me. And I think the one that I'm going to pick is number two. I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. I'm trying. Michael Jordan's trying. Apples and oranges? I don't know. But it's the best quote for me. Okay, next one. Best Bulls team that Michael Jordan was on. 97-98, Now, we're going to break down these teams, okay? Bottom line, all of these teams won an NBA championship. So starting right there, you know, I think, yeah, we can get into rosters and backups and, you know, like the 91-92 team had, uh, you know, a pretty good solid bench. Uh, you had B.J. Armstrong, Craig Hodges, uh, Will Perdue. Uh, not too bad, but we know it was all Michael Jordan. Uh, 96-97, you had Randy Brown, Ron Harper, uh, Steve Kerrigan, brought in Robert Parrish, a seasoned champion, uh, and Dennis Rodman and Bill Winnington. 97-98, uh, again, Randy Brown, Judd Bushler, Scotty Burrell, Ron Harper, Tony Kukoc. Luke Longley, uh, but here's the thing. The roster is 95-96, okay? Here is the full roster. Randy Brown, Judd Bushler, Jason Caffey, James Edwards. Remember remember the chop? Didn't he have the chops or some kind of mustache? Jack Haley, Ron Harper, Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc, Luke Longley, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, John Sally. Dickie Simpkins and Bill Winnington. John Sally, remember when he was on the Detroit Pistons and he didn't like the Bulls and then he went and played for the Bulls? Wow. Okay, but here's the key. That team went 72-10. and 10. At the time, that was the record. Most games ever won by an NBA team. They were first in the NBA Central Division. They were first in the NBA. And they won another championship. I don't know. I know it wasn't their last championship, but when you think about it, it was the first one after Jordan coming back from retirement, and he was a beast, right? He was a beast. No one thought he was going to be Michael Jordan again, but he was. Bottom line, he was Michael Jordan again, and he put his stamp that he was the best in the NBA he put a stamp on this roster. He brought in a a guy no one the 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 one player that no one knew 
what would happen with him. He was such a wild card in Dennis Rodman. And along with the head coach, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan was able to corral the emotions of Dennis Rodman to make him become an, a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer, not just because of his career and winning back-to-back championships with Detroit, but it was really what he did with the Bulls. That helped supplant him as a Hall of Famer. Scottie Pippen, always going to be a Hall of Famer. Steve Kerr was made better, even better as a coach today with Golden State because of playing with Michael Jordan. And that team was the greatest team ever. Okay, enough said. 95-96 is the best roster. Let's move on to the next category. Best single accomplishment. Six-time NBA champion. Six-time finals MVP. Five times regular season MVP. 1985 NBA Rookie of the Year. Presidential Medal of Freedom, gold medal winner, amateur and pro. Now, I think I got to pick the first one. Six-time NBA champion, right? I mean, outside of the Celtics, nobody else can say that they've won six NBA championships. Except for Robert Ory, I guess. But that was a multiple team. Doesn't matter. He won three in a row, retired, and then won another three in a row. And come on, y'all. You know that if he didn't retire, he probably would have won eight, right? Come on. There we go. Best single accomplishment, six-time NBA champion. Now, here's the interesting thing that I thought about. It says best single accomplishment. That's six accomplishments. So if you had to say one, I'm going to go with Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, it's only two of them. That's one. And NBA Rookie of the Year is another one. So I'm going to say Presidential Medal of Freedom. Okay, most iconic mannerism, biting his jersey, complaining to the refs. Everybody does that. Mid-range fadeaway, mid-range fadeaway jumper. I'm actually going to say Kobe's might be a little better. Um, the tongue and trash talking. Come on. It's the tongue. He made the tongue. I mean, if there was a way for him to patent, trademark the tongue hanging out like Anthony Davis did unibrow or um, Pat Riley uh, trademarking back to back to back. I'm going to say the tongue. That was Michael Jordan, right? Tongue hanging out. You knew that means he was coming with game. It's the tongue. Most iconic mannerisms. Best Space Jam teammate. Uh, We got five here. Lola Bunny, Bugs Bunny, Bill Murray. Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Oh, man. Tweety Bird or Daffy Duck. Four of them are cartoons. One is probably the coolest guy that's an actor that loves sports, that is an icon, just on so many levels in Bill Murray. Uh, Okay, can I pick two? I'm going to say Bugs Bunny because he is the Michael Jordan of cartoons in, in my mind, right? He's the best. He's the best, and no one's better than Bugs Bunny. But Bill Murray's the only human, so I'm going to say Bill Murray. Can I have a tie? That's tough. I guess I can't have a tie. All right, I'm going with Bill Murray, okay? I'm going with Bill Murray. All right, best teammate on the Bulls, Scottie Pippen, who, you know, I mean, he really has the credit with being there um, as his 1A to win these six championships. Dennis Rodman 
who helped him win three, but not six like Scotty. Horace Grant, uh, whose brother I know pretty well, Harvey Grant, and Tony Kukoc. Come on. It's Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen. It's Scotty Pippen. I mean, he came out of nowhere, out of Arkansas, and was one of the greatest NBA players as well. You know, it kind of reminds me of a Shaq and Kobe or a Steph and Clay. Uh, but I, I know Kevin Durant came there. It's Scottie Pippen. It's Scottie Pippen, best teammate on the Bulls. Biggest rival on the court. Clyde Drexler, Portland Trailblazers. Dominique Wilkins, Atlanta Hawks. Gary Payton, Seattle Supersonics. Shout out to the Supersonics. Hope they get to come back. Isaiah Thomas, Detroit Pistons. Or Reggie Miller, Indiana Pacers. That's a tough one. So here's the thing. I first was saying Clyde Drexler because I think that their game most mirrored each other's, although I think Jordan was on a different level, but Clyde Drexler had a game similar to Jordan. But they didn't play enough. They weren't in the same division. So you see where I'm going here with this. So it's not Clyde. Dominique Wilkins was a good rivalry, but I feel like the biggest thing for the two of them was a dunk contest. All right, Gary Payton, point guard, he's out. Isaiah Thomas, point guard, he's out. So, it's Reggie Miller. I think Reggie Miller was a different kind of player. He was a long-range, three-point shooter. I think that in many ways, he challenged Michael Jordan on defense, maybe a little bit more than Clyde Drexler because Jordan didn't have to play him as much as I mentioned, and he was kind of... Uh, looking at his mirror. So he maybe knew how to how to guard Drexler a little bit better. Now, Jordan did guard the best player on the other team. So, yes, he did play against Gary Payton. He guard Isaiah Thomas. But realistically, I would say it's Reggie Miller. And, you know, really a, a sixth name that could have been on here is Joe Dumars. But I'm going to say Reggie Miller. So there's my take on the Michael Jordan popularity pool. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. This is a fun debate. I want to thank Trevor Booker for coming on the show. A shout out to Michael Wilbon for keeping it real when we talk. And thank you for listening. Continue to listen, share, and leave a review. You can catch past pods and subscribe for future ones on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more. I really appreciate the support. And I can't forget about DraftKings with the great Jordan popularity pool. It was a lot of fun going down memory lane. Happy waging, folks. Ciao for now.